1: I um, want to talk about some uncomfortable conversation today, uh, but we have to address these kind of things. When you have somebody who's been um, in your home, you've been working with, with them, you know, with a wheelchair, they're bed bound, they're just not moving around as much as they should. They like to go out in the sun on these 100-degree hot days that are killing us right now in the dog days of summer. And sometimes we get issues like pressure sores and dehydration and stuff like that. So I want to address that today because I think it's kind of important. I've been getting several clients who told me that over the summer, they've had these kind of problems going on. And... Uh, I had a I had somebody actually email me this morning and say that her mom has pressure sores and that hospice came in and saw them and she didn't know what they were. She needed me to explain to her what they were and how they happened. So it gave me an idea that today might be a good day to address these kind of things because I don't know that I have ever really talked about those things before. Uh, <laughs> hard to say in five years of, of podcasts, but... Anyway, here we go. So, pressure sores are essentially ulcers. And ulcers develop when a person is lying down or sitting for too long a period of time. Um, it can be caused by a lot of things. Clothing being too tight. swelled legs. Poor nutrition. And... When you get somebody who's elderly, they're pretty vulnerable to things like this. And you can kind of see them growing, you can see them happening. I asked her, I said, "Did you see any, you know, like red sores or red areas on your mom?" And she said, "No, not really." So I told her, I said, "Well, you're going to have to pay closer attention because she's in the late stages and Even though she's in the late stages and she's in bed a lot, doesn't mean that we abandon our attention to that person. And you should do a daily check on her. Usually, those uh, pressure sores, those uh, ulcers will um, develop on kind of the bony areas. So, check the heels. Check their hips, check their shoulders, their spine, their shoulder blades. I should have thought about that. Your elbows, your knees, your bottom, you know, your ankles. And it'll kind of look like red spots or bruises, especially in areas like on your hips and your tailbone, your heels and your elbows. And if any reddening at all appears... Make sure the person doesn't lie in that spot. Roll them over. Try to keep them, put a pillow behind them if you need to, to keep them from rolling over. And you've got to turn them every couple hours because if you don't, sores are going to develop on the other side. And if you have hospice coming in, have them check for them. Have them tell you how often you should turn the person over or Or lay them on their back or on their stomach or whatever. Will they choke? I don't know. But those are questions that you can ask your medical personnel. And if you can, if the person understands the spoken word, then ask them to change positions themselves. You know, ask them to turn and look at you. See how they are, you know, doing when they're rolling over? Is it uncomfortable? or Are they in pain? Because those things can become really, really big problems. Really big problems. And the people who are no longer able to move, um, that are better uh, chair-bound, they are the most vulnerable. And you've got to watch out for these things. You can't just ignore it. So make a schedule, like put a timer on your phone every half an hour or every two hours, whatever your doctor tells you to do, go in and check on them and have them roll over. It it helps enormously because they are painful and they can break open. And when they break open, they are so hard to heal. And then you can get abscesses and you can get all kinds of problems. Sometimes you can get um, like these flotation devices that somebody can lay on or sit on. You can get them usually from a medical supply store. Uh, They really, really help. Foam mattresses really help. If you have your person in the hospital treating these kind of things and they put them on a foam mattress... Ask if you can take it with you. Yeah, they might charge you $200 for it, but it's worth it. Because those foam mattresses can help a lot with the person being able to get a little air to the area. And it helps them to roll over a little bit easier. There's also um, water cushions, gel pads, foam pads, air, air cushions that you can pump up. They're soft. They're usually washable. Um, that helps because you never know if the person might spill on them or something like that. Or you don't want them to um, smell if the person is hot and they're sweating. Like I said, the, the summer's been intense with heat of late. And we can get those kinds of issues going on. So really, really pay attention you can also get those heel and elbow pads. They are they're kind of made of like um synthetic or fleece material and that helps those bony areas from getting agitated. Some other things that I get emails about are like dehydration. You can tell when somebody's dehydrated, they get irritable, their skin will get ashen or dry. Um, They might pace a lot. And you have to watch out for people in the summer, in the fall, because people can get dehydrated so easy. And we assume that they're drinking water, that they're caring for themselves, but maybe they're not. And... The things that you will see if they are dehydrated is they might, they might be vomiting, they could have diarrhea, they could develop diabetes. If they're taking heart medication and, and diabetics and things like uh, not diabetics, I'm sorry, diuretics, um, those kinds of things can get people really dehydrated, dry mouth. it's uncomfortable. And you'll know if they're refusing to drink or if they're super thirsty, if they look flushed, their face is red, check for fever, check for a rapid pulse. That will tell you immediately if somebody is dehydrated. And they will get a real dry, pale look around their mouth. Another thing you can do is check their skin, like you can pinch your skin a little bit and see if it looks elastic, like as soon as you pull it up, does it go back to where it was, or does it kind of flow easy, or does it not move well at all? If you give them a bruise when you pinch their skin just slightly, and I don't mean hard, I just mean pulling it together so you can see if it's going back, you know, at a a pace that looks like it's elastic or something. Um, so if the, if they get a bruise, they are definitely dehydrated. Other things are, uh, like when they stand up, they get really dizzy or lightheaded. They can get uh, uh, exponentially more confused and hard to converse with. Dehydration is a big deal, and people need a certain amount of fluid each day, and it varies person to person. It's not, you know, it's not the same amount for everybody, but I try to drink about five 16-ounce glasses of water per day because I live in Colorado. It's hotter than Hades, and it's dry, and my mouth gets really, really dry. But people need more, more water. They need more fluids, drinks, whatever Suits your fancy, I would stay away from soda pop uh I don't think that that the carbonation and um the things that they put in at the acidic levels that are in soda ever help somebody, so you know, but nonetheless, as long as they're drinking something, especially during the summer months and the and the hot hot days that we get sometimes throughout the fall. And depending on where you live, if you live in Florida, you need to drink a ton of water. If you live in, live in California, you need to drink a ton of water. If you just live in dry places, you need more water. So really think about that. And I think a good gauge is that for a person who is in their 40s or 50s or younger, um, they probably should drink half their body weight in water per day. People that are older... Uh, could probably drink a fourth of their body weight. So that's a good judge of what they need to keep them fluid and keep them working and keep their brain functioning and all that kind of stuff. If you are not hydrated, other things that can come up is, and and even being around people who are coughing and hacking, and I saw on TV the other day that whooping cough is back and um, that it's highly susceptible to, spreading. People can catch it really, really easy. And when you get that, you can get pneumonia. I got another question about this last week. Pneumonia itself is just an infection of the lungs and it's caused by viruses or bacteria. And it can happen a lot to people with various dementias. But it's super difficult to diagnose because usually you would have symptoms like a cough or a fever. And with a person with Alzheimer's or Lewy body or something, they may not seem to have a cough or a fever. One of the things that does happen is like delirium, where they're kind of walking around, they don't seem like themselves, they're pacing, they're not speaking clearly, and and maybe they didn't have that problem, even with Alzheimer's, but now they have slurred speech, and they, they just seem like they have really muddy thoughts and not clear thinking. That's delirium, and it is usually one of the first things that you see if there's no coughing or fever. So if you see that, you should be thinking, hey, this could be pneumonia. And especially if it gets really bad really fast. That can be a big issue. Uh, They can also choke, especially if they're bed-bound. And... Anytime somebody's not eating well, they're pocketing food, if they're choking on their food, that could lead to pneumonia really, really quick. We see this a lot, especially when people are not swallowing their food very well. Oh, gosh, what else? I see stuff like this all the time. Um, People have the opposite problem of diarrhea. They get constipated. They can't remember when the last time they went to the bathroom was. They may not have had a bowel movement for days and days and days, and they're uncomfortable, and they're in pain from the constipation. And if that happens, you can, you know, there's certain foods that will make you go to the bathroom. You can have oranges. You can have prunes. Um, drinking tons of water will make you go to the bathroom. That's another thing to look for if somebody seems like they're discom- you know, uncomfortable, they're in discomfort, they're in pain. Um, their confusion is really bad. All those kind of things can lead to your bowels being impacted and not going to the bathroom very well. And you'll know because they'll start cussing at you. they'll start you know uh, crying they They can just become very difficult to manage. I think this happens a lot. And part of the reason, I actually called uh, my doctor, Brownie Fleisch, today, and I said, why do people have this problem? And she said people eat a high diet of easy-to-prepare foods that are usually processed and low in fiber And those are the things that encourage you to have a good bowel movement. Another thing that she said is a big problem is that people that have dementia usually have dentures that don't fit very well or teeth that hurt. Um, You know, they haven't been to the dentist in a while. We think it's not worth getting them, um, especially if they're in late stage dementia, it's not worth getting them um, under anesthesia or anything for uh, dental work. So we don't get those things fixed. And those can aggravate the problem by huge amounts. And the whole point of this is that your intestines are supposed to move all this through your system. And if you're not eating foods that are helping you with that, you could be in trouble. Uh, Chocolate. Chocolate. Uh, I never recommend fried foods, but fried foods will give you a bowel movement and a heartbeat. Um, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. What else? What else? Uh, Just crappy food. Um, And, you know, I don't really have a problem with that. I just have to say, if somebody has late-stage dementia dementia, and they are constipated, (laughs) give them ice cream. Give them candy. Who the hell cares? Just do it. It will loosen them up immediately. A good shake, uh, a vanilla or chocolate shake, will help a lot. We we see a lot of these problems, the pressure sores, the pneumonia, the constipation, all these kind of things, with people who live by themselves. And they get really confused about when they ate or didn't eat. And they don't know how to prepare the food anymore. um they could be eating you know cookies, cakes, low fiber food um, causing problems and If you see somebody that is not going to the bathroom regularly or they're or you're helping them and they're just peeing and so on and so forth, then you need to try to check. Let them go to the bathroom, but tell them not to flush so that way you can look. I know people are super private about this kind of stuff. And they may not appreciate you asking. <laughs> but, it, you know, it stops being an invasion of their privacy when you're trying to make them as healthy as you possibly can. And I'm going to be the first to say this is a pretty distasteful task to have to undergo but um if they are agitated if they seem like their skin isn't isn't um very full of elasticity if they if they've got gas um you're noticing that uh they seem to be bloated in their stomach and things like that you have to pay attention to this kind of stuff because it can get way worse in a heartbeat. And you just don't want that to happen. Trust me, you do not want that to happen. So call the doctor. Uh, you know, find, tell them what you're seeing. Give them an idea of of what's going on. They might recommend Malac. Mal, how do you say that? Malacs? <laughs> some, some of those some of those dietary things that can help you, um, push that stuff through. And like I said, fruits, prunes, apples, cereal, um, granola stuff, oranges, all those kind of things, and then take them for a walk. We'll get that all moving around and you can get them back on their system again. Hey, we're going to take a short break and continue this uncomfortable subject because I'm basically addressing readers' questions and things like that today and trying to get to the bottom of these uncomfortable topics. We'll be right back.
0: Carolan at Bellevue Station is a residential community enriching the senior living experience. Our community, full of grandeur and elegance, is located near Cherry Hills, Colorado, we offer independent living and personalized assisted living services and an intimate, caring neighborhood for our residents with Alzheimer's and other dementias. A beautifully appointed spacious apartment, chef-prepared meals, transportation services, and a team devoted to your safety and wellness are what awaits you when you reside at Carillon at Bellevue Station. Call 720-440-8200 or visit at Bellevuestation.com for more information. Welcome back to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz.
1: Okay, so um I've been talking about questions I get from clients and readers, and it'll get a little better, I promise, but um medications can also give somebody bloating gas um uh, and exelon are horrible for that exelon can really it's a it's the patch form of Aricept, and uh People take that if the Aricept itself, the pill form, is upsetting their stomach. And, man, they can have diarrhea. They can have um, the opposite of constipation. They can vomit. They get stomach cramps really, really bad. So when you put somebody on a medication or you're giving someone a medication that a doctor has prescribed, watch the first couple of days and see if they're having any adverse effect on them. That's the best way to know if it's the medication or if it's something else, the food that they ate or something like that. So anytime you do that, uh, I would recommend also that you write down what foods they ate on the day that you started the medication so you know if it's the food or if it's the medication because you could stop one or both and then kind of know which one's causing the problems. People are super susceptible to over-medication and reactions because uh, those medications are combined with other drugs they're taking and they make them sick. And that can include even anything like that, malak. <laughs> oh, my God, you guys are going to think I'm crazy. I never use this stuff, so I don't know what it's called. But I think it's Malac's. Um You can get that over the counter. And sometimes the... The creams, the suppositories, um, the stuff that you give them, uh, they can cause problems that you will notice, like uh, they're walking really slow, or they're stooping when they walk, or they're drowsy, um, they're sleepy, they're suddenly falling over. Those kinds of things will tell you if they're having problems with medications. Um, increased confusion. Leaning. Um, sometimes you will get like uh, somebody wringing their hands or tremors in their hands or legs. We can see things like dizziness and headaches, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, loss of appetite, um, restless leg or cramps changes in their heartbeat, skin rashes, all those kind of things can kind of clue you in that a medication is not working on that person the way it should. They could be allergic to it. And doctors can't always eliminate all the side effects. They can just tell you this could happen with this person or this could happen with that person, but they don't know. They don't have any clue. So they're trying to give you something that's going to treat the problem with fewer side effects, but um, it doesn't always work. So you've got to look for the best balance. You've got to figure out which ones are working and which ones aren't. You have to pay attention. I mean, you really, really have to pay attention because sometimes drugs that are meant for behavioral symptoms... um are best used not every day or just for a finite amount of time, like Seroquel or something like that. Because if you use it for too long, it can either make you sleepy, it can make you have hallucinations, it makes people really suspicious and real super irritable. And that is the last thing, (laughs) that is the last problem we want to have is somebody being really, really irritable. And your pharmacist is your best person to talk about these different medications. When you go to pick them up after a neurologist has prescribed them, ask the pharmacist how these are going to interact with any other drugs that person is taking. They can answer you. They have special training in this stuff. Usually, they have some geriatric background And uh, they combine that with pharmaceuticals so they know what happens. And they should be keeping a record of all the prescriptions your person is taking. But overall, this issue is going to fall to you to pay attention and ask some questions and figure out how you can make sure they're as healthy and happy as they can be. And if your person has more than one doctor, all the doctors need to know what the other doctors are prescribing. Don't ever leave that to chance because that's where things can go to hell in a handbasket. Make sure every single doctor is aware of what the other people are prescribing. And write it down. Take it to the doctor appointments with you. Everything should be listed. You should even get an identification bracelet for that person and list all the things that they're taking. It matters. Because if somebody prescribes a new drug, you need to say, hey, can you check and make sure that this is going to work with the other drugs my husband is taking, my wife is taking? This will at least hopefully mitigate some of the problems that you could have with drug interactions that are deadly, that are disturbing, that cause irritation or upset stomach. And always ask that a new drug be introduced on the lowest level possible so that you can up it if you need to. It's harder to take it away than it is to up it. Because when you do the lowest level, you're looking for side effects. You don't want the side effects to show themselves if you do it too hard or too fast too soon. And look for side effects for weeks, days, weeks, months when the person is taking some kind of drug. Because then you can, like I said, attribute it to the new one that just came on. I know these are big, yucky things to talk about, but it is what it is, and we get lots of problems with medications. A lot of these drugs have to be taken before a meal, some after a meal, so pay attention to that. Some gradually build over time, and when they do that, that's where they have their highest level of effectiveness. And we need to know... When you need to take them, if you need to take them after you've eaten or if you need to take them before you've eaten. Because there's nothing worse than taking a drug before you eat and it makes you sick to your stomach and you want to throw up and then you can't eat. You need to know if it makes the person drowsy because if it does, you should give it to them before they go to bed or or taking a nap. And what happens if you miss a dose? That's a big issue too. Or if you accidentally give a double dose, will it make the person fall? Will it make the person sick? And so ask all those questions when you go to the pharmacy. I mean, it's hard enough to give the medications anyway. I mean, half the time people don't want to take them. They get upset if you try to give it to them. They refuse to swallow pills. We're trying to figure out how we can maybe open a pill and put it into a drink or something. You have to check on stuff like that, too. You can never be too careful. And if your person is fighting you on taking that medication, check the floor because they may spit that pill out later and you don't want a dog or cat to eat it. That happens all the time. That happens all the time. Um. I told a client recently who could not get his wife to take a pill that they should check to see if there's a liquid form of the medication she was taking. Colin asked the doctor or the pharmacist, um, could they crush it, mix it into ice cream or applesauce or something like that, or could they give that person a uh, liquid? And it turns out they could. All the above, everything I just said. And, you know, I had somebody who emailed me and said she always forgets her mom's medication and she feels bad because her mom's the one with dementia. You know, we're tired. We get exhausted. We forget. But set timers for yourself. Put it on a calendar and make sure you look at that calendar so that you don't have those kind of problems. And if you can't remember if you did it or not, get those little plastic pill containers that you can put them in and then you can look and see, did you give everything for the day? That is so much easier than trying to remember it on your own. You can get those pill bottles anywhere. Grocery store, child proof ones so they can't get into things they don't need to or or um, so they don't get in and take them. Uh, on their own and over-medicate themselves and stuff like that. When they get into care communities, a lot of times they don't even give them medications anymore because they're powerful and and they can be dangerous and they are behavior-modifying, chemically-binding brain drugs. So um, sometimes they can have More problems or less problems, it just depends. But sometimes there's a high rate of medication errors in communities and we have to watch out for those. Just pay attention. Other questions I get, dental problems. Um, It's really hard to get your person to the dentist. I get it. I totally get it. Um, If they are in late-stage Alzheimer's, I... Don't want to say you should neglect their teeth. You could still have them brush and, and things like that. But if their dentures aren't fitting well, just take them away. Just take them away. Um, they're going to lose them in a care community anyway. I mean, you wouldn't believe how often they lose dentures in a care community. It's a everyday common occurrence. I am not kidding you. They lose their partial plates. They lose their bridges. Um... You could go through the trouble of getting implants and things like that, but, uh, you know, your person is going to have a shortened life expectancy, and you may or may not think it's worth it to spend the exorbitant amount of money to make sure they have teeth. Uh, you know, wh- here here's another one that came up. When people move into a care community, ask the dentist to etch your person's name on their dentures. Don't do it yourself. Don't write on them because you can get um, ink poisoning and all kinds of weird stuff. But the dentist can do it. They can put the person's name on their dentures. Uh, It's kind of a gross thing to talk about, but I'm sorry. These are questions that I get. The next one is... Vision problems. Um, We have a lot of vision problems with various dementias, especially Alzheimer's, uh, because we need color contrast to see things. Um, Light pastel colors kind of look the same. Light blue, light green, light yellow. Uh, Grays and whites blend into each other. Very, very difficult. White um, in itself, if a room is completely white, people have trouble um, disseminating between what is the vanity and what is the toilet and what is the sink and all those kinds of things. Um, We have spatial issues. They may not realize how close or how far they are to a chair or a table or something like that. We have uh PCA posterior cortical atrophy that I work with a lot with Dr. Victoria Pellic and her patients and those people have squiggly lines and they have red lines and they have falling issues and um they see numbers and things that aren't there it, it you know so when somebody has uh, alzheimers and they're having vision issues it you could go to the eye doctor ophthalmologist and they may say there's no problem here or there is a problem here but glasses also seem to be very very difficult for people with alzheimer's Um, really really hard Uh, people just innately when they get older have a harder time with lights and glare so if somebody seems like they're struggling when they walk into a room and it's well lit maybe that's why but use color contrast where you can. That will help with eyesight and vision problems. Um, if you can put lines on your staircase uh right at the edge where a person should walk, that will help. We see problems like this all the time. Um at night, leave on night lights if you can. People with Alzheimer's sometimes don't know what they are seeing. That's a that's a temporal and parietal lobe vision where on the temporal lobe, they're looking at an object and trying to figure out what it is. And as they look at it, they just cannot quite tell. And people can't tell if that's a vision problem or if that's a cognitive problem. And then on the right side of your brain, in the parietal lobe, they're trying to figure out... Um, what the name of that that thing is that's a cognitive issue but people could mistake it for a vision issue and people have vision problems cuz their brains not working it could just be part of the dementia we call that we call the vision issue a name it has a name agnosia um And an ophthalmologist won't be able to help with that. They can test all they want, and they're never going to be able to tell if that is what is affecting a person. Vision is really, really difficult because we have thinking and language impairments with the right side of the brain. And we can talk all day long, but they still may not recognize an object or be able to name an object, and it may or may not be a vision issue. I would see a neurologist before I saw an eye doctor in cases like this. And if somebody's been wearing contacts their whole life, I would probably... um, Have those taken out because you can have real problems when you leave contacts in too long. You can infect your eyes and they will lose them. They will absolutely lose them. So if that's where you need to go and maybe find some uh, glasses or something like that for the person then by all means but just remember if they're having trouble seeing things or saying what what their vision is or you know talking to the ophthalmologist and explaining what they're seeing and not seeing that could be a cognitive problem not a vision problem and you can check that by asking people to point to an object or say an object or um have them identify a sound um, and and know whether or not somebody is, is snapping their fingers. Can they watch them? Can they see them? Can they hear them? We get a lot of hearing problems, too. And the biggest problem with the hearing is that people lose their hearing aids or family members forget to charge the hearing aids. I went for an in-home assessment the other day and the family forgot to charge the guy's hearing aids. (laughs) That was uh, not fun, I can tell you. It is very difficult to yell at somebody and ask them questions when they have late-stage Alzheimer's. All of this stuff can be dealt with by calling a doctor, asking questions, talking to your pharmacist, and paying close attention. So that was basically some of the questions I got, especially over the Labor Day weekend. And I wanted to address listeners' concerns. And uh, sometimes I just don't want to speak just to hear my own voice. So that will be all for today. I love getting your letters. I love getting your questions. I love getting your phone calls. So keep them coming, and I will address them the best I can in upcoming podcasts. I hope you all have a great end of summer and look forward to fall. Fall can be a wonderfully entertaining time. I love the colors. I love the smells. I like the cooler weather. (laughs) I hope you do too. And I'll see you next week on Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz.
0: You've been listening to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. To learn more about her resources, services, classes, or to book speaking engagements, visit Jill's website at Training.com. A new podcast drops every Tuesday, so join us as we learn more about dementias, resilience, and overcoming obstacles to find a positive outcome. Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz can be found on your favorite podcast provider. Please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. Musical and technical support provided by Brian Hunter. See you next week.